Our scripture reading for today is in Luke 4:14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was the custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant who sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the gospel of our Jesus Christ. I'm not in the business of Bible translation, but sometimes I like to summarize a passage as succinctly as possible. You know what the summary, in my opinion, of that passage is? I am the good news. And the good news is for everyone. That's what Jesus was saying. He's saying, I'm announcing me. I'm the good news. And I'm for everyone. Today we begin a three-part series uh, that leads us up to our missions weekend. And the first part of this series is ministry to the stranger. That's my part. Next week we focus on ministry to the poor. That will be John Mangrum's part. And in the third week, our mission speaker that we've supported for many years at ECC, Chuck Broughton will be speaking about ministry to the imprisoned. So for three weeks, we will think about the good news in a broad way. Not just about us, but about the whole world. I said the summary of that passage was, I am the good news, and the good news is for everyone. If you watch the development of Jesus' ministry following that announcement, it becomes clear that there's a trajectory in his message. Well, many, but one I'd like to emphasize. The trajectory is the spread of the good news to everyone, the whole world. That's the trajectory of Jesus' ministry, message, and mission. If that's true, it means that the good news is for people who we might otherwise consider a threat. Doesn't it? 
Um, do you know how many times in the Old Testament alone there is a reference to the alien, the stranger, or the immigrant? They're, they're all the same. It's, it's a, a Hebrew word, ger, which I'm sure I don't pronounce correctly, but G-E-R. Wonder how many times? Ninety-two. Just in the Old Testament. I want to begin uh, this message by doing something I've never done before, which is I want to read uninterrupted a series of passages. You're going to have to stay with me, okay? Stick with me. I'm not preaching for the first part. A scripture lesson. Uninterrupted passages related to the alien. And before I read this, I want you to remember something with me. Well, first of all, I want you to be aware of something you already know. Our world right now is a fearful world. Very fearful world. And a lot of it has to do with the stranger. What the New Testament, and especially the old, might call an alien. The verses that I'm about to read were addressed to a group of people. Now, now hear this well. Addressed to a group of people who every single day of their life were under threat of annihilation. Okay? Just keep that in your mind. When we think about fear today, and it's there. The kind of fear we have of the unknown, the stranger, those that might do us harm, pales in comparison to those people who first heard these words in the Old Testament. Pales in comparison. There were really only two times in the nation of Israel where there was absolute peace, prosperity, and protection for the people. It was in the later half of David's reign and the early part of Solomon's reign. The rest of it was not so safe. Okay, having said all that, here we go. Just listen to these words. Remember, remember the context and remember this. They're not my words. The Lord your God is the God of all gods and the Lord of all lords. Great, mighty, and awesome. He doesn't play favorites, and he doesn't take bribes. He enacts justice for the orphans and the widows. He loves the immigrants, giving them food and clothing. That means you must love the immigrants because you were immigrants in Egypt. When a stranger sojourns in your land, you're not to do him any wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For as you were strangers in the land of Egypt, so they are. I am the Lord your God. The same law applies both to the native born and to the foreigner residing among you. Don't oppress the widow, the orphan, the stranger, and the poor. 
don't plan evil against each of them. Why? Because the Lord watches over the sojourner, and he upholds the widow and the fatherless. You have brought your judgment days near and have come to your years of punishment because the fatherless and the widow are treated with contempt and the foreign resident is exploited within you. The fatherless and the widow are oppressed by you. I will come to you in judgment, and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the widow and the fatherless and cheat the wage earner, and against those who deny justice to the foreigner. They do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with other, each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will live in this place and in this land I gave you and your forefathers forever and ever. Thus says the Lord. Do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. When you are harvesting in the field, and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the grapes again. Leave what remains for the foreigner the fatherless, and the widow. When you have finished paying the entire tenth, which is the tithe, of your produce on the third year, that is the year of paying the tenth part, you will give it to the Levites, to the immigrants, to the orphans, to the widow, so that they can eat in your cities until they are full. Um, that's just some of the passages in the Old Testament. I told you there were 92 references. Just two in the New, and then I'm going to preach. <laughs> For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And in the opposite words, I was in all those places, and you did nothing. 
then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you? Hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked? And the king will answer them and say, truly I tell you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. Or in the words of the writer of the book of Hebrews, do not forget to show hospitality to the stranger. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Maybe after that I should just say the word of the Lord and we should say thanks be to God. What does it all mean? I mean, not just those passages. But what does the gospel mean? In the light of what Jesus proclaimed that day in Nazareth. In order to say what the gospel means, we actually have to go back to the beginning. Not the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but the beginning. We go back to Genesis early. And we remember... First, the blessing. The blessing of the good news. What was the blessing? It was a blessing that came through Abraham. Abraham, I have a work for you to do. The work I have for you to do is to be a stranger. What I've got for you to do is be an alien. What my job for you to do is be an immigrant. So, Abraham, leave everything you know everything behind and go to a land that you do not know. And there I will bless you. But really, Abraham, I'm not doing it for you. You'll get some blessing, no doubt, because I'm a good God. But Abraham, I'm blessing you for the intended purpose of you blessing the world. I'm going to take you, Abraham, out of all these people and I'm going to bless you and through you, the whole world's going to be blessed. So get on your camel, Abe. We're about ready to go to a new territory. Abraham, of course, followed God. Sometimes we emphasize, and there's nothing wrong with this emphasis, it's just one of the emphases we could extract from these series of texts about Abraham. We, we emphasize that Abraham went out by faith not knowing where he was going, right? You've heard me say that. You've heard many preachers say that, and that's true. He really didn't know exactly where he was going, and he really did step out by faith. But the whole point of it wasn't about this wandering person who was just going where God told him to go in any moment and then finally deciding where he needed to be. That wasn't really what it was all about, although that was part of it. Because Abraham kept getting this promise that pushed him on and pushed him on from one location to another. The bigger part of Abraham's story is this. Abraham, I'm going to take you away from everything that you know, all your comfort, and I'm going to place you in a culture where nobody knows you, and you count for nothing, and you are an immigrant, and you 
are an alien. That's what I'm going to do with you, Abraham. Do you realize what that story says? <laughs> Among other things, it says that God chose to bless the whole world through alienism. Through, I'll make up a word, strangerism. God said the way I'm going to bless the whole world is I'm going to extract a person from his comfort zone and place him in a land where nobody knows him. And everything around him is closing in on him. And I'm going to take him and I'm going to bless him. And people are going to look at him. And through him, I'm going to bless the world. So the irony, isn't it an irony? That the blessing comes through alienation. It didn't come through kingship. It didn't come through might or power. It came through alienation. Abraham, remember this, if you haven't already remembered it. I selected you from a large group of people. Abraham, if you haven't already caught on to it, there's nothing special about you. Abraham, I'm going to reiterate to your people, your descendants, that they really were not that great. They weren't selected because they were mighty or smart or righteous. They were selected because I decided. I want to manifest my glory to the world. Thanks for following. You know what the whole point, the main point of the story is? It's what I've said a couple of times already. Abraham was chosen so everybody could experience God's blessing. Let me put it differently. Abraham was chosen so everybody could be chosen. So that the good news could come to all people. Wow, what a story. <laughs> I want on a number of occasions, God said, through your heritage, for the world to be able to look at the people who fought with me and say, oh my, my. I would love to be a part of that. The place where God's kingdom is present. You know the high point of that for the nation of Israel? When David passed away and when Solomon assumed the kingship. Now it went down fast after that, granted. But at the beginning of Solomon's reign, do you remember the story of Queen of Sheba? Who came to look at Solomon's reign? Solomon showed her all the things about his kingdom. And her response was, oh my, your people must be so delighted to live in your kingdom. That was a picture, not of Solomon, because it never is about the individual in the scripture. It's only a larger picture. It's a tiny microscope 
big view of something larger that God intends. It was a picture of how God wanted people all over the earth to look at something like that and see the glory of God. Remember Psalm 20, uh, 67 that we just read a few minutes ago? All together collectively? It ends by saying, this whole thing is so that all the ends of the earth will fear you. Not like be terrified by you, although there's terror in the presence of God, but will fear you in a holy sense. You are God. That's the story of Abraham and the people of the Old Testament. Now, we just ran through a whole bunch of hundreds of years of history, right? And now we're at the text today. The first is the history of the blessing. The second is the announcement of the good news. When Jesus comes, he stands with all that is his backdrop. He stands with all that history, and he referred to it repeatedly. To David, to Solomon, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to all the patriarchs. He referred to all of it. It was all right behind him. He was fulfilling everything that was behind him. And he walks up to the podium that day in the synagogue, and he says, you know your tradition? Your people who have been following Yahweh all your lives, I want to tell you something. Today is the day. I am the good news. I'm not talking about an idea here. I'm talking about me. The kingdom of God has come, and I'm standing right here. In my entire mission, says Jesus, is to announce the kingdom of God to everyone. To the poor, to the widow, to the orphan, to the stranger, to everyone. You say, Bob, I know my Bible. I just heard the scripture reading. The alien and the stranger were not mentioned in Luke chapter 4. You got me. But I didn't let that one slide by me. Because quickly after that, Jesus begins to make it clear that the good news is for everyone. You remember the woman at the well? The Samaritan woman who was the ultimate outcast? Jesus basically takes the same announcement to her and through her spreads it to the Samaritans. In effect saying, this good news is for everyone. I sat down and I took a drink. I took a drink out of your cup. And you know I'm not supposed to do that according to the tradition. You even said it yourself. I took a drink out of your cup. Because we share a common humanity. And I want you to take this good news, which is the presence of the kingdom of God, the Messiah sitting right in front of you, and I want you to take it to your people. And of course, she couldn't help but take it to her people, could she? And they came flocking to Jesus, and he stayed there for several more days. And he taught them concerning the kingdom of God. You know, the announcement quickly became about the outsider, the alien, the outcast. And along the way, the announcement didn't just include the alien and the outcast. The announcement was actually accompanied 
by an example. Of course, Jesus was the example, right? No, but I'm going beyond that. He announced the good news. He even announced it to the Samaritan woman. And then on one occasion, I don't know if we can get inside the mind of the first century reader to understand how incredibly revolutionary this was. As he announced it, he gave an example. And he basically said, this is what I want you to do with the good news. I bet you've never heard the parable of the Good Samaritan introduced that way. But I think that's what the parable of the Good Samaritan was all about. You know what Jesus did? Think about it for a minute, folks. Jesus said, I want to give you an example of how to live out the kingdom of God. And he chose a Samaritan as the example He didn't choose himself. He didn't choose a fellow Jew. He chose a Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan is about the Good Samaritan. The story about a Good Samaritan is a Samaritan being what the people of God ought to be. And nobody considered the Good Samaritan righteous. And Jesus says, that is me. You want to see what the kingdom's about? Be the good Samaritan. First is the blessing. Second, the announcement. Third, the example. And fourth, the mission. All of this, as I mentioned, in my opinion, is a trajectory of Jesus' ministry. And the trajectory of Jesus' ministry is fulfilled in the church, not in Jesus' lifetime. When Jesus says, greater things are you going to do than I'm going to do, I don't think he meant individually. I think he meant the explosion of the church on human history. So the mission of Jesus really begins to exponentially be understood in the book of Acts. And of course in the epistles. And where does it start? It starts on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people come to faith all in one moment because Peter gets up without any education, without any scholarly background, with nothing but a fisherman's resume and speaks the gospel. 3,000 people bow the knee. Now as great as that story is, they go all over the Roman Empire, as great as that story is, I'm going to get inside the mind of Peter, and I think I'm right about this, because you can see it play out later in Acts chapter 10 when a new revelation dawns on him. Inside the mind of Peter on that day, at the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ, he's saying to himself, inside himself, there's this recording going round and around. Ah, this is it. Ah, this is it. This is the day of the Lord. This is the good news. This is the kingdom of God. God's people... My people, Israel, coming to the good news. Because that's who was there. It was Jewish folks who came to celebrate the day of Pentecost. And it was Jewish folks on that day who received Christ. It wasn't the world. It wasn't the Gentiles. It wasn't until after that That the mission of God and Jesus Christ becomes utterly clear. Where Peter, as wonderful as he was, but so stuck in his ways, 
said to himself, I'm doing the work of the ministry, I'm proclaiming the gospel, and God said to him in effect, oh no you're not, you might think so, I have something else to tell you. And he gave him that vision of those unclean animals, and he said the gospel's for them. And Peter, I, I got to tell you, Peter must have thought, what in the world just happened to me? My whole world has been turned upside down. He received it well, and he went back and he told the other apostles. It took him a little while to adapt, if you know the story of Peter and Paul, because Paul calls him out when he didn't fulfill the mission that he was called to by Jesus Christ in that vision. But anyway, Peter starts to get it. This good news concerning the kingdom of God is for everyone. The widow, the orphan, oh, he knew that one. And the alien. The one who was not Jewish. The good news was for the soldiers that killed his Lord. It was for all the oppressors who were smashing the nation of Israel with what was left. The good news was for them because it was for everyone. Peter's head had to be spinning. But eventually, with the help of the other apostles, especially Paul, he began to understand. And what is his understanding? Its understanding is that a new reality has dawned in the history of salvation. And it includes the outcasts and the aliens and the people you're afraid of. The people you're threatened by. The gospel is for them. And furthermore, when you look into their eyes, into their face, into their culture, if you don't see Jesus, you're missing it. He's there. Just like he is in the face of the orphan and the widow and the imprisoned and the hungry. I once heard uh, a remarkable statement. It's become sort of part of my memory, so I can't remember the source, and it doesn't matter because I'll probably misquote it. But here, here's the idea the church is the only organization in the world that exists exclusively for the benefit of others. Oh, I know we exist for the benefit of ourselves, but you get the point, right? When you give to missions at this place, when you give to this church, day after day, it just goes right out the back door. It's not for us. It's for the world. My friends, that's theoretically true. 
But in the midst of loving one another and being happy that we're here, we could make it a little bit too much about ourselves, could we? And if we're going to stay alive, we can't. Because the church has always thrived when it was for the other. For the other. Always. So here's a couple of hard questions for us. The first one is this. Think for a moment, and in your imagination, look around yourself, and I mean around your world, not here, out there, and ask, who is someone that exemplifies the Good Samaritan? Who are they? Jesus might say, once you've identified them, learn from and perhaps copy their methods. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter whether they're secular or religious. It doesn't matter whether they're a part of another religion. Look around yourself, says Jesus, and identify the Good Samaritan. And when you see that Good Samaritan, ask an internal, an internal question about yourself. Am I living that? And if not, how should I? That's the first question. Who's the Good Samaritan in your community? Think about it and ask yourself how perhaps you can learn from it. The second question, personally, as an individual, how do you approach the stranger? I'll put it differently. Who is the stranger in your life? Personally. Can you name him or her? Can you say, that person is an absolute alien. And that person knows me. That person is an absolute outsider. And that person knows I care about her. That person scares me and threatens me. And that person knows that I love them. Personally, how do you approach the stranger? Third question, corporately. How do we embrace the stranger? Are we as a church engaging with the strangers? Or are we creating an insular community, one in which we all feel comfortable because we think alike and look alike? 
So those are hard questions. I, those are questions, honest questions. I'm not giving answers. I'm asking questions. And I'm asking you to leave asking the same. But the final two questions are basically really encouraging ones. They're the imagine questions. Here's what I want you to imagine. That if we individually became good Samaritans, how would our world change? If we together, as the church, were really reaching out, how would our world change? That's the question. No answers. Just questions. Think about it. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we're so grateful that um, you remind us that we were and at some level still are aliens. First, we were aliens outside the covenant until you gave us the invitation to enter it. And second, upon entering it, we become a new kind of alien. An alien within our culture. We're called to think differently, to worship differently, and to live differently. And that makes us aliens. But we also remember the promise that though we're aliens walking on this earth, we have a home that we look forward to. A time, and it's, it's really hard to understand or define, but a time where you're going to make everything new. And you're going to bring in completely your kingdom. And because of your grace, not because of who we are, but because of your grace, we'll experience that kingdom forever. So Lord, uh, this week and beyond, help us to remember that the hope we have is for everyone. You invite everyone into that story. And then second, Lord, help us to open up the doors of our heart, of our home, of our church to with Jesus continue to announce the good news which is for everyone. In the name of Christ our risen Lord we pray. Amen.